0: Hey, podcast listeners, Ethan Millard and Alex Curie here from the Nightside Project Podcast here at KSL Podcast. Get into Zen Headlines with us on the Nightside Project. Use hashtag Zen Headlines on social media to share stories that make you think, make you smile, spread love, spread joy, all those things. We'll share them on the Nightside Project Podcast, one of the most popular podcasts ever. Nightside is a KSL podcast. Subscribe for free anywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell.
0: Contact Cordell, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Will Wise. If the CEO continued to be in his place where he was
1: right and needed to be admired and needed his mission to be mm, validated, nothing new was going to happen. Everybody would have just became yes people.
0: This is another episode of Innovation and in Leadership where we interview all kinds of high achievers from world-class musicians to CEOs, authors, and pro-athletes. Try to find the common elements of success no matter what you're working on. Will, thanks for making time.
1: Hey, I'm so excited to be here.
0: So I know we haven't talked in a few years. It's fun to have you on the show here. Um, to begin with, let's talk about this business you co-founded.
1: Yeah, it's, um, we call it WE for short. And we have been noticing that leaders call us when there's a lack of trust within their organizations that's getting in the way of their desired results. And so oftentimes a leader is kind of pulling their hair out, recognizing that there's a lack of trust, but not knowing how to deal with it or access any kind of tools to really amplify trust in a way that can have meaningful results.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your background and and how you got to the place where you're teaching this. So um, you have a master's from Penn State in education. Is that right? It is. And then tell us about the program you're in right now.
1: Uh, So I'm also doing a international school program with something called the Mastery Foundation. And they are... It's an amazing program where we come together for a five-day, a three-day. We do lots of different coachings, and we have a cohort that does lots of different work together in lots of different ways. But when we come together for the five-day, there's people from Northern Ireland, people from Israel, and some Americans. And we really look at who we are being while we're doing the things that we are doing so that more peace and reconciliation can happen on the planet, especially in times of conflict. Because oftentimes we put our focus on what we're doing, what happens when we focus our attention on who we are being. And so if you change what you're doing, you might get some change. But when you start focusing on who you are being while you're doing it, that's where transformation can happen. And the world can start looking differently for the people who are in conflict.
0: Yeah. Um, What made you want to start this business? (laughs) Wow. That's a powerful question.
1: Um, Really what it came from is... I have an awesome job at a major university doing things that I love, and one of the things I do is I train facilitators to walk into a room full of strangers and talk about things that nobody wants to talk about—race and gender and long-term conflict. And the best of those facilitators move on to a position in which they're facilitating over 8,000 different people through these conversations. And then the best of those facilitators move on so that they are facilitating virtual conversations with NATO soldiers before they get deployed into the country in which they're going to get deployed to with civilians of that country so that when they land on the ground, there is a chance for humanity to arise rather than the idea of combat, and we got a half a million euro grant to continue that work. Um, and that's within something called world in conversation. Yeah. And so while doing that, I got this really strong desire that these tools that we had created together really needed to be out there. And while I was doing consulting work on the side, I was recognizing that leaders aren't asking really great questions and, uh, conversations could prevent the murky, ugly places that they often end up in. And so when you confront people with it and say, well, did you talk to so-and-so about it? They would say, no, and I don't know how to. And so we and me and this book that I just writ- wrote called Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter is a attempt to – put these tools out into the world that are easily accessible that leaders can grab a hold of and actually make a difference.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm on your store right now on your website and, uh, you guys are doing something that I love. I want to talk about your cards. I feel like this is a really underused modality for, for, uh, teaching and learning and stuff. Talk about your, what are these we engage cards and the we discover cards?
1: Um, yeah. What we recognize. So one way that we teach and I don't even want to, it's hard for me to even call it teaching. We create experiences where the experience teaches. Right. And so when we come in, we are trying to create a dynamic in which people have their own aha moments. And so the We Engage cards that you are looking at have an image on one side and a quote on the other side. And so I'll tell you a story about how that created some, an opportunity for some leadership and innovation within an organization. It was the largest organization of its kind in the world. And they had a brand new CEO. And the CEO created a new mission. And what? Well, While I was working with the CEO, I could see he was really fired up about it, but I had a sense that his 12 direct reports were not interested. But how do you do that as a consultant, right? And if I even said, nobody's going to support this, that was not going to really create a conversation that mattered. So what I did is I printed his... um, mission statement on a card that looks like those cards. And I set it down and I gave people, I said, choose a card, any of these images. And so there's all kinds of images. There's images of uh, bridges in a cityscape. There's images of somebody scuba diving. There's images of the desert. And choose any image that relates to how you are going to make this mission come alive. And what's really beautiful about connecting people's actions with a photo is that they can then connect uh, different parts of their brain and they're going to say something that they wouldn't say normally. It's a really cool way to create an opportunity for some innovation and some new thoughts in the room. So. People go around and they start saying theirs, and a white male lays down his card and says, We are a bridge builder and we make connections happen between our members. And this is one of the largest member organizations in the world. And people are talking about their members and they keep that laying down photos. Well, one guy, fourth or fifth one, picks up a zebra and he says, Every zebra. Is different. Every pattern, there's no two zebras that have the same pattern, just like with snowflakes. And we are not doing this with our customers, our members. We're treating them all the same. And I kind of smile and I see the CEO kind of tense up and he begins to say something, but he kind of cuts himself off. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I said to Zebra Man, let's call him now, I said, Zebra Man, it's interesting that you are saying that is the only black male on the leadership team. And he said the only black gay male on the leadership team. And by that point, the CEO had got his thoughts together and just spewed out what he was thinking. And so I said to the CEO when he was done, basically what he did is totally negate what zebra man said. And I said, do you hear Mr. CEO, that you're saying that from a white male's perspective? And he says, that's the only place I can say it from. And I said, that may be true, but can you hear what zebra man is saying? Can you get what he is saying? And he kind of sits back in his seat and crosses his arms and you can see now he's really thinking about what was said. Two weeks later, when I followed up with him, I said, how's it going? And he says, you remember that Zebra Man moment? He is now in charge of steering our organization in that direction. There was a hole that I was not seeing that he saw. And so he's now responsible for the team that's moving us in that direction. And what I love about that story is if the CEO – continued to be in his place where he was right and needed to be admired and needed his mission to be mm, validated, nothing new was going to happen. Everybody would have just became yes people, right? Yes to the new CEO. But by creating a moment in which these cards could reveal something for him and gave permission for people to kind of say what was on their mind, suddenly a new conversation was developed and the organization was now able to shift to include their members who were on the fringes who may not even really been engaged and so now there was an opportunity to increase that engagement
0: it's interesting the different things that can give us new perspective right
1: yeah The We Connect cards are cards that have questions on them, uh, powerful questions, and the way that we use them most often is to get people to connect before the agenda, before the content, before whatever needs to happen. And so we have an activity that we call question swap where we get everybody up out of their seats. They all have a question. They start engaging with each other. And they talk about what matters to them. And as soon as people start talking about what matters to them and they are listened to, then this humanity shows up. And so suddenly people in the room are not – Just objects that are in their way suddenly they are real and they have dreams and desires that are equal to each other and anytime you can create that moment of connection it's easy to go from connection to belonging to trust so the cards are designed in such a way that that pathway between connection belonging and trust is easily accessible
0: so I want to talk about this because um I have definitely been on teams with uh where I had a low degree of trust with my coworkers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, this okay. this is not a this is not a highly productive environment. Yeah. Um but um I also am not into the like you know woo woo let's all sing kumbaya and and uh you know like the you know do yoga after we have kale smoothies kind of side of things right (laughs) and so um which is funny nothing against yoga or kale smoothies but that's not me right so um so my point being is um especially for a lot of dudes right who um would maybe rather be a little more task oriented or things like this yeah um (sighs) who maybe aren't as practiced in having conversations about those softer issues, right. Or what gets classified as soft skills issues. Um, Any thoughts for like, say, let's say, um, you know, our our consulting firm, Myland advisors, we've got, we've got some folks that we work with, you know, they got several hundred staff in the, in the heavy construction industry. Right. Not, not guys who spend a lot of time getting in touch with their feelings as a, as a, uh, general stereotype right but yet you know the ceo who who is a big tough guy man's man he would absolutely agree that high trust is going to increase the team output and and have them consider more what's going on for our customers and our clients and right any advice in environments like that where maybe there's some resistance to having this kind of conversation in, in the first place of um How to ease people into wanting to have the conversation about it? (laughs)
1: Um, Well, if I'm fully transparent with you, I did an experiment two weeks ago with a group that fits within what you're talking about. Uh, Really task-oriented. Their job is to solve problems. Super analytical. Um, Maybe there was, out of the thirty five people in the room, only two were females, and and I started with a joke that totally landed flat, (laughs) and we made a joke about the weather, and I said, well, it's obviously obvious I'm not a stand-up comedian, so (laughs) let's talk about other ways that this day could suck, and we just started naming all the different ways that the day could suck. And I said, all of those are true and can be true. And we could also create a day in which we can make a different choice. And we ended up laughing and engaging and being really present with each other. And so one of the things I think no matter, so I'm task oriented off the charts. Um, Being relationship oriented is work for me. So even after this call, I'll have to find some quiet time and just sit by myself, right? That's like there's a way that I want to touch things, move things, make something visible happen in front of me. And what I've realized is if I'm going to make some really great things, I need the inputs and the ideas from others. And so really what your question is, is how do we create experiences where relatedness can happen? Because if there is no relatedness, nothing's going to happen. If people aren't connected, all that's going to show up is little bits of what I call turf wars. And turf wars can be really, really subtle. But that's my stuff. You can't have my stuff. And people are more likely to engage with each other when there's an opportunity for them to be connected to the purpose Uh vulnerable and authentic. And when I say vulnerable in this case, in the context of your question, I could hear you going, wait a minute, that's not really what we're talking about. But vulnerability can show up in lots of different ways, even if somebody can say, I don't think we can do that. Or if we do th- do that, that's going to be a problem. For people to actually voice what they see and hear So as leaders, I think it's our job to create environments where people can speak freely. And the We Connect cards that have the question on one side, even for the really tough analytical people who aren't interested in touchy-feely kumbaya, which I am not either, suddenly get to be uh, human with each other and and ask each other questions. And one of the biggest things that we try to do when we lead retreats is give people lots of different opportunities for how they show up. If people feel like they're forced, they're not going to fully show up and be themselves. They're going to hide behind a facade. So that particular deck of cards is got a... Uh, color key that's built into it so the blue cards are deeper the green cards are fun and light and the purple cards are self-reflective and so if I have a group that has a lot of resistance I tell them that code and I say choose a card that's where you're at and how you want to be and how you want to participate in this and if 80 percent of the group chooses the green cards, which are fun and light, that just tells me, okay, so we want to keep it fun and light. Doing something deep straight away is not really where we're going. And if the group chooses deep straight away, that kind of gives me some data that suggests what could be possible. And then I also tell them if you see somebody who's coming at you with a blue card and you don't want to talk to them, just turn away and go somewhere else. Like as much as possible, create opportunities for people to engage in a way that they feel safe. That was a long answer. Did that answer your question?
0: Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of good stuff in that. You know, I think, um, we have these, we have this, uh, balance beam as leaders today of the like, you know, if you fall off one side of the balance beam, you're the dictator just ordering everybody around and there's only one person with good ideas. It's, you know, tyrant with a thousand helpers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you fall off the other direction, you get too many cooks in the kitchen, death by committee, nothing ever happens. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, navigating the, like, how do you stay on the balance beam in the middle is, you know, I think we all make missteps both directions. Right. Um, But those those type of elements, you know, you you think about if you can get people to be real. Right. Because I I think about um, specifically the environment I was telling you about before. And I think, yeah, it was absolutely like a safety issue of I had some I had some opinions, but um, the implications on my career for me to express them (laughs) seemed seemed uh, (laughs) to have more weight than being helpful at the moment right yeah yeah and so um guess what i did <laughs> kept it to myself right
1: and that's why that moment right there that you are talking about jess is why i wrote the book right if there's a way that you could have approached that experience with a mindset that included the whole right so Maybe it's helpful for me to distinguish what I think leadership is. My definition of leadership is making something happen that wasn't going to happen that includes the needs of the whole, Mm. all all the relevant parties. That's it. Make something happen that wasn't going to happen anyway. So with that, that means the janitor could be a leader. Their position doesn't have any authority perhaps except Mm -hmm. with the trash can or the shining of the floor, but they could make something happen that wasn't gonna happen anyway. Let's do this recycling thing, whatever it is. Oppose that to managing. Managing is keeping everything as it is, putting out the fires, whatever the system is that's been developed or created to make sure the system keeps working. And we need managers too. I'm not trying to dis-managers. However, if you had some tools and maybe you did or maybe you didn't, but moments like that where you have some tools to be able to say, you know, boss, I was wondering about this and asking questions based upon your natural curiosity that don't have a lead in them, don't have an expected outcome, but truly exploratory, not in a way that we needed to be an expert. I think what happens, you know. You mentioned dictatorship and what's on the other side. One way I've been thinking about it lately is dictatorship and partnership. And when I say dictatorship, uh, so I do adventure guiding as well. And I was working with a river guide. And the way he engaged with his uh, peeps before they got into the raft was this is a dictatorship. I'm the dick. You're the taters. This is the ship. Now get in. And we all allowed him to be the dictator because he had much more experience on the river than any of us did. So we were okay with that. And I think what happens is when we move into positions of leadership, we are often promoted there because we were able to solve problems. And people saw that and appreciated that and there's a certain expertise that comes along with solving those problems however it doesn't take very long when you start moving up the leadership ladder in which you're too far away from the front lines and if you're not asking great questions you're not a leader you're not going to make something that was going to happen anyway you might be managing things and you might be putting out fires So asking powerful questions in which are based upon curiosity that are exploratory. So there's this dynamic. So I think one way to be on that railing that you were talking about, that being, is having a mindset of an explorer rather than the expert. As soon as you are, as soon as you decide that you're an expert. So I've written this book now and people are trying to put me in the expert place. And if I accept that, then my learning stops.
0: Yeah. You know, okay. I know we got to end the episode and we should pick this up in part two of the interview, but I feel like there's a a bunch of things that we need to talk about. So everybody tune in. Here's some things that are going to happen on part two. We're going to talk about, you know, the beginner's mind. We're going to talk about, you know, you were talking about this idea of really being present with people. You know, I love that Austrian guy, Martin Buber from a hundred years ago talks about, are we thinking about these humans like an object or are we really present with them? Right. And I can tell you, I was not that present with the guy i'm complaining about here on this episode <laughs> um i just really had all these feelings of being hard done by and you know painted him to be this evil evil ogre oppressor yeah. right yeah, yeah. um you, and uh anyways what you're talking about like there's a guy do you know ed shine the mit guy that wrote humble inquiry have you heard of this yes, book
1: yes
0: you'll have to refresh my memory oh, but it. it's familiar there anyways Subjects to cover in part two, everybody. Hope you tune in. We're going to keep uh, going down this discussion with Will. Thanks, everybody for listening. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about: if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York, and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works you can buy as many or as few as you want change it as many times as you want and uh, i think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blipbillboards.com. thanks
1: Now's is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at The Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.